Hey, thanks for tuning in to our Harvest Sermon Series. This week, we'll hear from Pastor Andy Bowles. If we're plowing to break up this bad ground so that we can have new good ground to plant seed in, then you've got to think, okay, what kind of seed needs to be planted in this freshly plowed ground? You know, a lot of times what we do is, is something that this is just this is just metaphorically in our lives as far as decision making is concerned. Sometimes we'll plant corn but expect expect grapes. Sometimes we'll plant one seed and expect another. I used to get so irritated. This is, this is at least 137 years ago when I was a youth minister. <laughs> years and years ago when I was leading youth, it used to irritate me to hear people say, oh, don't worry, they're sowing wild oats. They're just sowing their wild oats. They're just, hey, hey, young people, let me tell you something. Old people, let me tell you something. Middle-aged people, let me tell you something. It's good enough for everybody, right? What you sow, you will reap. If you sow wild oats, guess what you're going to reap? You're not going to reap sweet nectarines. You're, you're going to reap wild oats, and you're going to have to deal with wild oats. This is what Paul says to the churches of Galatia in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, 8, 9. He says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you will reap life everlasting. What do you want? Amen. You want that seed to be a good seed. If you've done all the work to get to the place to have a good ground for seed, then why mess it up by putting in seed that is not going to give you a desired crop? So there's a whole lot that goes in to planting, just like there's a whole lot that goes into plowing. In the planting, you've got to select the right seed. It determines the crop. You've got to select the right time. It, it, uh, it, 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 as, as you determine the right time, it's going to dictate to you how much you get as a result of that out of the ground, right? So let me just put it this way. If you want a crop of corn, go plant a seed now and you ain't going to get it right now. It ain't coming out of the ground right now. If you're lucky, maybe around February, you might get some shoot of something. But if you plant, there is a, a certain uh, a right time that, that dictates the amount. Selecting the right ground, a fertilized ground, selecting the right season, whether it is a drought or whether it is a flood, it all, it all is very important when you're getting ready to plant your seed. Is, is even important in, in the area of, of, of raking hay and baling hay. Ain't nobody in here ever baled hay, have you? We live in Scott County. I knew there would be a few handfuls that would throw up and say, yeah, I've, I've raked hay. Some of you guys are thinking, rake hay. City slickers. No, no. Bailing up hay. And so you got to cut it and you can't leave it until, until it, you got to leave it until it dries out and, and you can't get it. And you can't be out there wet. And there's so many little elements that go. There is the right time and the right condition to be able to cut hay, rake hay, bale hay. 
And the same goes here for, for planting this seed. If you got your Bibles, flip over real quick with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. And some of you guys might remember Jeremiah chapter 29 for one verse in particular, which is the verse 11, maybe verse 13. We highlight those on our Bible apps. We highlight those or underscore them in our Bibles because it's one verse out of a stream of thought that means so much to us. But I want to tell you what Jeremiah chapter 29 is all about. First of all, this book of the Old Testament, it's a major prophet. Not that the others who are called minor prophets are any less in degree of significance or importance, but it's just got more chapters than Obadiah, who only has 17 verses. Here we've got Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He also wrote the book of Lamentations, that is to lament over or to cry over. And so Jeremiah had a very daunting task to proclaim in a way of prophecy unto the nation of Israel that they are serving foreign gods and therefore their heart is going astray. They are committing spiritual adultery and they need to come back to God. So this is a difficult message to preach. But he preaches it. There was actually a time to where he didn't want to preach it anymore and he decided to quit preaching it. There was another time to where he, he was preaching it and he got thrown in this big mud pit and left there to die. Jeremiah faced a lot of trouble, but he continued to proclaim the word. Because he knew that the word, even though it was weighty in a moment, God intended it to bring God's people to a place that was good and, and full of purpose and, and, and full of meaning and full of joy for them. And that's what verse 11, when he says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God knew exactly where he wanted them to be. The problem was they weren't really focused on getting there. They were kind of comfortable in doing what they wanted to do in the moment. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, you've got a small group of, of people, God's people who are in Israel. They're known as a remnant that are in Israel. And then you've got a larger group of people who are in the Babylonian captivity. Because of disobedience, God has allowed his people to go into slavery in Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And so here in chapter 29, Jeremiah is writing a letter that hopefully, and it does, make it into the hands of the leaders, the elders, and all of these guys that are in captivity in Babylon. He wants them to understand God has a word for you. God has a word for you. When you make your life a mess, God still wants to speak to you. God still desires to get his word to you. What has to happen for me to get to the place to where I'm able to hear from God in the middle of my mess is not for me to correct all of my mess and make all of this good so that God will speak. No, no, no. Instead, in the middle of my mess, to look to him and confess and then God will desire to, because of his good, rich mercy toward us, begin to speak to us. And so God doesn't say, okay, Israel, your heart is turned because chastisement, correction, you had to get your fanny spanked. That's just Scott County vernacular, right? And now you're looking to me. Said, now that you're looking to me, I want to speak to you. you. You ever been to that place in life to where it just seemed like God wasn't speaking? 
Oh, I can't hear God's voice. And, and it can be for a multitude of different reasons. I'm not here to say that I've got an angle on, on how God or why God or, or when God speaks to you or speaks to me or speaks to anybody else. But as I look into the Bible, I see sometimes God speaks just because he's trying to develop and grow your faith. Sometimes God doesn't speak because he wants to develop and grow your faith. It's not because you've got an issue going on in life. You didn't create no mess. You're not in the middle of a mess. It's just that God is developing and growing and deepening your faith toward him. And then sometimes we do make a mess and we're hard-headed in this mess. Is anybody in this room hard-headed or get hard-headed occasionally? Confess your faults one to another and be healed. Yeah, that's us, right? So we get hard-headed and we... It, it's, it's easier to, to tell God no instead of us no, isn't it? As a matter of fact, here recently I was convicted over that very thing. I hadn't been telling myself no enough lately. <laughs> and usually this is how it works with Andy. When Andy's not been telling God no enough lately, it means that he's not been telling, or excuse me, when I've not been telling myself no enough lately, that means I've not been saying yes to God enough lately. And therefore, things are out of balance in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm serving Andy instead of serving Jesus. And so, so God, in the middle of our mess, he wants to speak to us. And sometimes it's because there's some kind of interference between us and him called sin. And we just need to confess our sin to him because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what has happened with Israel as they are in captivity and the other part, very small part, who's a remnant still in Israel, man, they're praying and they're seeking the Lord and they want restoration brought to Israel after this rebuke and recognition of sin. They've repented and God is getting ready to restore. But God's chastisement, God's correction, here the consequences are beginning to unfold. And God says through this letter of Jeremiah to the leaders that are in captivity, says until the 70 years are finished. You've got some time still to go. But it doesn't mean that I checked out just because you've still got some time consequences to deal with. You know, for the longest time in my life, I got mad, not necessarily at God every time, but got mad like a spoiled rotten brat over the consequences I created in my own life. Felt somewhat entitled. And I'm going to tell you how I got entitled. I got entitled with the bad perspective of the grace of God that was offered to me. The grace of God is overwhelming to my sins. The grace of God is abundant and available to me. The mercy of God is never ending with every sunrise. It is brand new. And what I did in my life is I abused the grace and the mercy of God. This is the way of thinking that is wrong. And I became entitled. And when the consequences came up, I would say, but God, you've forgiven me. Now, I know I'm just preaching to myself. Ain't nobody else hearing this, right? God, you've forgiven me, but I'm still dealing with this. Why am I still dealing with this if you've forgiven me? And God is a God who has set things in motion so that we can, through the experiences of consequence, have a fulfillment of correction so that we'll know better. Yeah, it's got to be that way, right? God's got to be that way with us. So here, Jeremiah, he's writing and he's, these, these readers are reading the word and and in verse 4, he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon. He says this, you're there, right? You're there. 
Don't waste the time there. You're, you're, in, you're in the mess and God is bringing a miracle out of the mess. God is making a message out of this mess. You're there. Don't waste the time being there. Sometimes a threat to us is we waste the moment of correction in our life because we're poor men instead of seeing what God really wants to do even in the midst of that, right? And he, he says in he says verse 5, he says, Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them and take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that they may be increased thereof and not be diminished and seek the peace of the city, this city of Babylon that you're in. This place of Babylon, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof, ye shall have peace. Verse eight and nine is kind of weird. So hang on to these. It says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which you have caused to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Verse 10 picks up again. Verse 10 says, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken you. So what is, where, where, where's the message, Andy, and in, in the thinking part of this? How, how do we get a harvest of good decision-making abilities? Where is the idea of planting so that there can ultimately be a good reaping of a good harvest of decisions? Here, Jeremiah, he's teaching God's people through the word of God how to process life where they are. How to deal with life in the moment of which they live. You guys are going to have to finish these 70 years. It is God's plan of consequence actioned out through your life. He says, so this is what you do in the middle of all of it. You plant these kind of seeds. What kind of, what kind of seeds do they need planted so that they can get the harvest? What kind of seed of thought needs to be put in the fertile ground? The plowing has already been done. Now they're there. They're looking to the Lord. They're asking God to intervene, both the remnant and God's people in captivity in Babylon. Now, God, I need you right now. And so God says, now there can be some seeds. God says, now I'm going to give you some seeds to place and the ground that has been plowed. The first seed that we read in here is the seed of trust. The thing that we need as far as a seed to put in the ground of our thought after we have uprooted the, the bad way of thinking, that thought process that used to be negative or manipulative or whatever it might have been, once we've uprooted that and, and once we've meditated and, and once we, we found freshness in our mind and, and once we continue that freshness into flexibility, God is saying the ground is ready. Now start planting these things like, just trust me. Has anybody ever come to you and said, just trust me? Now I'm going to tell you, depending on the tone of that individual, Depending on the tone of that individual is how you need to trust them, right? If it's somewhere around April 1, just trust me. 
You know what I'm saying? Halloween, just trust me. There's a tone with it, but then there's other moments to where it's a little more serious. And maybe some things have gone down. And, and nobody's laughing. And then it said, just trust me. Just trust me. What is a person asking when they say, just trust me? <laughs> this, and I don't know if you're like me, but every time I, I words are, are, are coming in my head or out my mouth, there's always a movie being played in my mind, right? And the characters never match up between my mind and reality. Kind of like reading a book. I really thought that would be funny. So. <laughs> and so I, I'm thinking about this person who says, as they're hanging on a rope off the side of a cliff and another person reaches down with their hand and that person has a firm grip on the rope. I mean, they, they, they know what, what's happening with them holding on to the rope. They've got a firm grip on the rope. The rope is good at the moment, but they're not going anywhere. They're just hanging on to the rope. And then the person looks over the cliff and reaches their hand down and says, trust me. That's the movie that gets played in my mind when I hear, just trust me. I'm somewhere you're not. I've got an angle that you don't have. I can get you from where you are, which is a, a place of absolute desperation to a place of absolute confidence and stability and foundation. Just trust me. Well, what is God saying to the nation of Israel? Remember this, this, God is using Jeremiah here and Jeremiah is the prophet that God chose and he's preaching this, but this is not the words of Jeremiah to God's people. This is God's word to God's people. Just like it's God's word today to you and me, God's people. And God is saying to you, after you've plowed that ground, plant this seed of trust, just trust me. Just trust me. You, you say, yeah, God, I can, I can trust you. Of course I can trust you. You're the God who created everything. God, you know everything. God, of course I can trust you. If there's anybody in the world, I can trust you, God. But can you trust God when you're dealing with the consequence of your action? And God has brought in that consequence to remind you who he is. <laughs> I'll never forget as I've had... Little kids, you know, raising little kids. Isn't that fun, raising? Some of you guys are going to be raising little kids. Some of you guys are raising little kids right now. I'm not raising any more little kids. And so, never, that's right, never say what you're not going to do, right? And so I ain't going to raise grandbabies. Their parents are going to raise them. But anyway, I'm going to spoil them and get them, get them a lot of sugar in their body and then send them home. That's my plan. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> but as I've, I've raised my kids, I've seen in my kids time to where after I have had to discipline my children and done as the best as a flawed man can do in trying to correct my children and then bring them back up to me. And they, they embraced me as I've embraced them, but you can tell there's something inside of that little monster. <laughs> That's still saying, oh, you just wait till you turn your back, Dad. You know? <laughs> and it just feels like, why? Because I just towed a butt up. Right? 
I just spanked that child. And now they're looking at me kind of sideways. And, and I'm, I'm wondering sometimes if we're the same way whenever God has to come in and say, all right, get back in line. Trust me. Trust you. Trust me. Why can't, why can't we trust him, right? He is so good, and we say that, and we say, sing songs about that. But, but notice what he says there in verse 1. He says, now these are the words of the letter of that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue, and the elders would have carried away captive, and the priests and the prophets and the people, which, uh, people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4, he says basically the same thing. These who are captive, it says that God... The God of Israel unto all that are carried away captive. Notice what he says. Whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem. Can you still say, I trust you, God, when you're having to deal with the consequences of your decisions that are fleshed out through the correction God is bringing in your life? Now again, we at Embrace ain't the kind of people who want the easy stuff, give us the hard stuff. This is difficult. But I guarantee you that if you'll get that seed planted in your mind, if, you, if you'll get that seed planted in your mind, you're going to go from a person who making decisions have been impulsive and, and erratic and, and oftentimes bad and the crop stinks and it's no good and you've been making decisions based on feelings and emotions and it's all because of an impulse. But when you trust God, even when you're dealing with the consequences of the chastising hand of God, then your decisions are going to be a little bit more Flesh, not from impulse, but from commitment. You see, this is a fact. I don't spank kids that don't belong to me. I mean, I have in the past, but it really wasn't right. right? I should only spank the kids that belong to me. God's only going to spank the kids that belong to you. Do you trust him in that moment? Plant that seed that, God, I trust you no matter what. I trust you. The bills are paid. I trust you. Bills ain't paid. I trust you. My kids are sick. I trust you. My, my wife is mad at me. I trust you, God. And this sickness is in my body. I still trust you, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I've made this dumb decision, God, and this is the consequence of it. Now this is, the situation is blown up out of hand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to deal with these consequences by your grace, and I'm just going to trust you. Another seed that's planted in the ground that's tilled up and plowed and fertile and ready to go. And the way we get our mindset for a good harvest that is God-honoring and blessing those around us is faith. And you say, wait a minute. You just covered trust. Now you're going to talk about the same thing again? Faith. Now trust and faith are different. Trust and faith operate on a very different, a different scale. You, you, as a matter of fact, you have to have trust before you can have faith. You don't, you don't put your faith in nothing you, you can't trust in, right? Or, or if we're talking about spiritual things, that's the way it is. And most of the time in relationships, we, we don't. You gain my trust and then I can put my faith in you. So over a series of situations, you have proven yourself to be trustworthy. And now I trust in you because you have been found trustworthy. Trustworthy. 
And as this relationship grows, you have been trustworthy and now you have my trust. It's going to be faith to where now I'm acting out in good faith on how you have been to me because you have gained my trust. So God is, God is this God who is trustworthy and, and they are to give their trust to the Lord. God, I trust you. Even in this moment, I trust you. It's not easy, but I trust you. It's difficult because I'm dealing with the decisions that I have made and the consequences that I deserve. But I trust you. And now, God, I'm going to act out by faith, believing you. <laughs> this is what he says in verses 5 through 9. After he says, just trust me, even in the midst of all this, trust me. And the way I'm going to know that you trust me it's by faith you're going to do this. He says in verse 5, Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that they may be increased thereof and not dis diminished and, and seek the peace of the city where there, I have caused you to be carried away captives and, and pray unto the Lord for that city. For in the peace thereof you shall have peace. God is saying, if you'll just do these things in response to faith, because you trust me, do. This is, this is what you do. You build and you plant and you establish yourself. You, you, you do and you commit. You commit your family to the families that are around you and you say we're going to be here and we're going to stay here as long as God calls us to be here. You have sons and, and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters who are established here in this place. And he says seek. Seek the peace of the city. Don't wish wrong for it or harm for it. If you seek harm for that city, you'll gain harm for yourself. If you seek peace for that city, you'll, you'll get peace for yourself. And he's saying, do and commit and seek. And these are the, the fleshing out of, of faith. And, and so as we have this ground that is ready, plant trust, but also plant the seed of faith that calls me to action. Because James chapter 2, verse 17 says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, I want to stop right quick and tell you that James is not talking about a saving faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talk about a saving faith. And that is just trusting in all the work that Jesus did on the cross to save you from your sin. That is saving faith. Here is an active working out of saving faith. You don't work to be saved, but you serve because you have been saved. And so he says, even so faith that I not works is dead being alone. It's an active Faith. We're talking about the Christian's mind plowed and ready to receive a seed that can be fleshed out by faith. The Bible says anything without faith, done apart from faith, is sin. Does that put it in perspective for you? How important is faith? So we, we trust and, and we're planting the seed of faith that will produce the, the decision of, of miracles in our life. And God will do miracles because God desires to operate through faith to do miracles. You say, Andy, I'm, I'm in this season of life and, and I've just been making one bad decision after another bad decision and I'm reaping all these consequences of these bad decisions. Well, if you will plow the ground and plant the seed of faith, God will say, I see the seed of faith in that ground and what's going to come up out of the ground is going to be nothing less than miraculous. Jesus 
in the Gospels. He goes certain places, and as he goes to do miracles in certain places, he operates through the channel or vein. He uses the power of someone's faith to operate a miracle. He goes to his own hometown and doesn't perform many miracles. Why? Because they didn't believe. There was no faith expressed. But where he would go to certain places, like the man who would come to him and say, I've got someone I love very much who is dying, Jesus. Will you? heal them. And, and Jesus says, well, take me to him. And, and this guy says, Jesus, I'm unworthy for you to enter into my house. I'm a man of authority. I know how this works. If you just give the word, it'll be done. And then Jesus, that very hour, healed this man's loved one. And Jesus operated through that faith. And he commended that faith to his disciples and said, I've not seen such great faith. No, not in all of Israel. He wants to operate miracles through the vein of faith. Say, Andy, I just don't see the miracles like I used to see the miracles in my life. Are you planting the seed of faith in your thought life? Discernment is another one, right? To discern. To discern is to grow in your ability to know the difference between right, right and wrong. And that is another seed that needs to be planted in this plowed ground. To be able to discern the difference between what is good and what is bad. What is right and what is wrong. And if we're all honest, that's really where decision making hinges anyway, right? I mean, if I know the difference between right and wrong, then obviously I'll pick the right. Or will you? Huh? You know the last time that you were caught in the pickle? By the way, that's a, that's a baseball terminology, right? A guy's caught between bases and he's trying to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth without getting tagged out. He done got in a pickle. Sometimes we get in a pickle, man, and we're going from one to the other, one to the other, one to the other, and we're afraid of getting out, right? And here we are in that pickle and we know what's right and what's wrong. Some people say, well, I had a, devil, uh, uh, a demon here and an angel here. No, you just had you, truth, the Holy Spirit, and temptation. Right? And here's right and here's wrong. And so why did you choose wrong if you knew the difference? Hmm. Andy, you need to, it's getting close to quitting time, right? <laughs> but if you have discernment, Discernment is more than just knowing the difference between what is right and wrong, but having the spiritual aptitude to decide to choose what is right. It is, it is it's the very thing that the Hebrew writer was talking about in Hebrews chapter 5 when he says, I'm writing this letter to you. I want to talk about so many more different things, but you guys are still drinking milk and you should be eating meat. How come you're not chewing up some things a little more refreshing to the nourishment of your spiritual body? Get into some deeper things. I can't do that because you're still drinking milk. But if you will take the truth that you know, and apply the truth from God's word that you know, then it will spiritually mature and grow you and you will go from milk to meat and you will be using discernment through the exercising of your senses, the scripture says. So what that means is, as I know truth, obey truth. When I obey truth, I grow deeper in truth. And as I grow deeper in truth, then I gain some levels of discernment to where I'm able not only to recognize the difference between what is right and wrong in discernment, but now I have the spiritual aptitude, desire to choose what is right. Was that too fast? Don't worry, we have a, we have a Spotify podcast that everybody can 
get on and you can re-listen. <laughs> Shameless plug right in the middle of a sermon. And so he says here in verses 8 and 9, and I know we're running out of time, but he says, hey, guys, there's some, there's some prophets in your midst, and, and these guys see the future and diviners, and, and, and they're going to be telling you things and interpreting your dreams, and they're going to be wrong because God hasn't spoke to them, and you will be able to, you, you will need to be able to know the difference because if you trust what is wrong and you have faith in something that is wrong, you're going to be acting out in that wrong thinking that it's right. He says, I want you to be able to clearly know the difference and be able to, with strength, choose the good instead of the bad. And so plant this seed of discernment. Call out to God and pray that God give you discernment. And as you do, don't forget, he's going to give you opportunities of revealed truth so that you can apply that truth, so that you can grow deeper into that truth, so that you'll know what the difference is between right and wrong, have a spiritual appetite to choose what is right instead of wrong, and then... The last seed to plant in this ground that has been plowed up is anticipation. Man, I love this. I love. How would it feel if every night and every morning I, the level of our anticipation matched the level of a seven-year-old's anticipation at Christmas Eve? Some of y'all's heart can't handle. You know what I'm saying? What? Do you remember when you were a little kid and, and, and it's Christmas Eve and you're all excited and, and, and things are rolling, you know, and whatever tradition you had growing up is what you had growing up. But, but for me, Santa Claus is coming the next morning and, and I'm going to get up and I, I'm going to get the presents and couldn't hardly go to sleep. Now, y'all got to remember, I'm one of nine. Getting one kid to sleep on Christmas Eve is a miracle in itself, right? Much less nine. So there, if, if one of us fell asleep, no, 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 don't worry. We have a helper to wake you up and say, you can't go to sleep. You know, that anticipation, right? And to anticipate and to, you know, Jesus, I believe through his word has given us so many reasons to be people who plant the seed of anticipation in our thought life anticipation in the healthy manner, in the right direction. I want you to understand that there is a big difference between anticipation and dread. I mean, the difference is Christmas and Rukunau. Right? Yeah. God wants you to be a person of, of great anticipation to, to look forward to it. In verse 10 through 12, real quick, he says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years, after 70 years, there's going to be an end to this. You should look forward to this. You should anticipate this. Plan the idea, the seed of anticipation in your mind that God is always a God who is doing new things. And there's something greater on the horizon that God has in store for you. That's what he says right here. That after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts. Now, some of your translations may say plans. I know the plans that I have planned for you, saith the Lord. And there's, it's not wrong to have that necessarily. But man, I love this old language that God is thinking toward us. And he's got lots of thoughts toward us. And yes, they're plans. How are, they, how are they planned out? He says, saith the Lord of peace, uh, the thoughts of peace and, and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken 
unto you. God says, anticipate these three things. Anticipate a good word from me to be honored and kept. Anticipate a good plan from me because I am the God who promises good plans and keeps good plans. And then God in verse 12 says, expect good grace from me because I'm the only God that can give you the grace that you need. Right? He is the only place that we can find grace. Do you think you could anticipate those three things? Just those three things? Not only that, but, but Jesus says, I'm going to go, and, and as I've gone, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God has is, already said through his son Jesus, who died on the cross and was buried and raised three days later, he ascended into heaven and said, don't worry, fam, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Oh, we got so much to anticipate the return of Jesus. But isn't it just these three things, a good word from God, a good plan from God, and good grace from God? Isn't that worth anticipating? So what seeds are you planting in, in your mind, in your thought life? You say, Andy, how do I know? What decisions are you making? Where are they based and how are they coming? Think about the last five decisions you've had to make. From the smallest to the biggest, did you brush your teeth this morning? Don't say nothing out loud. <laughs> to how did you handle that conversation that was dicey? That plan that was made? That interaction that Saturday night or Friday night? How did you respond? 